Hello and welcome to a new Nordea on Your Mind podcast. I'm Johan Trokme and with me here in the studio is Victor Sonnebeck. Hello, Victor. Fun to be back in the studio as always. Absolutely. Today we are going to talk about a theme which is foreign exchange oriented. Um, it is related to our latest Nordea on Your Mind report, which has the title The Euro in the Nordics 2.0. We have a new year. I think it's zero risk of this year being boring, very much like last year. And we feel this is a good time to revisit the case for the euro in the Nordic countries. And uh, the Nordic region especially is, is quite interesting to look at from this perspective of uh, of uh, currencies, given that we have two camps. So Finland with the euro, Denmark with a peg to the euro, and then Norway and Sweden with their own smaller floating currencies. Right, and we will review how the euro has evolved since it was introduced back in early 1999. We'll look at the case for and against the euro in the Nordic countries and the Nordic experience so far with the euro compared with floating currencies. And of course, what may be waiting next ahead for the Nordic countries in the future. So should we start uh, quite far back in time? So let's go back uh, to a uh, 150-year historical perspective. Uh, And the Nordic countries have clearly seen a need for exchange rate stability. So we've had uh, fixed exchange rate approaches almost uh, the entire time, Uh, without exception since the 1870s. So first gold standard, then we had some currency pegs, we've had the Bretton Woods, the European currency snake, the exchange rate mechanism, and the the euro. Uh, And it is really only since the early 1990s that we have had floating currencies in Sweden and in Norway. That was quite a lot of history in one go. So maybe just to take the opportunity to quickly explain a few of those mechanisms that you mentioned, Victor. If we mention the gold standard to begin with, uh, what that means is that your currency is exchangeable into gold at a certain fixed rate. Currency peg is when you have your own national currency, but you have fixed the exchange rate of it to another currency. And the Bretton Woods system was the system established after the Second World War in which all the participating currencies had fixed exchange rates against the US dollar. And the US dollar, in turn, was exchangeable into gold. So a gold standard with extra steps. Precisely, uh, based on the dollar. And the currency snake, or the European currency snake, was a fixed exchange rate mechanism that came after the Bretton Woods system when that had collapsed, in which there were fixed exchange rates maintained bilaterally between the participating European currencies, which were allowed to vary within a plus-minus 1.125% band. And the ERM that you mentioned uh, was the European exchange rate mechanism, um, which was a mechanism with fixed exchange rates uh, of all the participating countries' currencies against what was called the European uh, Currency Unit, the ECU, ECU, which was the predecessor of the euro, which is an actual currency. So a lot of different ways of going about it. And and uh, the FX dilemma is, is you know, f- for a small open economy that you depend on trade with the bigger economies. And, and your economy is sensitive both to the macro cycle uh, and to your, your exchange rates uh, versus uh, your trading partners. Uh, and then FX is an additional, uh, additional risk to deal with. And as we've mentioned, uh, there ha- have been various ways of, of going about it in, in, in history. 
Uh, but if you want to, to kind of sum it up and boil it down, Johan, when it comes to the different options, yeah. how, to, how would you describe it? To keep it simple, if you're a small open economy, there are three really basic options available to you for your currency. Number one, you can choose to have a floating currency and just let market forces decide what the exchange rate for that currency against other currencies will be. Number two, you can use a major currency of your trading partners instead of having your own. And number three is sort of the hybrid, the in-between, where you have a fixed exchange rate for your own national currency against a major currency of your trading partners. And uh, starting with the first one then, the, uh, having a floating currency, uh, you could argue that that the case for it would be that you decide your own uh, monetary policy and potentially adjust to macro shocks through your exchange rates uh, or exchange rate uh, and not only through your labor market, but you may get exchange rate volatility and FX impact on, on inflation as well in your economy. Uh, and one of the key things being that you would also need to build and ment- maintain credibility for your currency. Exactly. And if you peg your currency to another currency at a fixed exchange rate, you actually import the monetary policy of the other currency. And this is something that could boost your own policy credibility. If your own central bank hasn't really been able to build that credibility, you would instead adopt the credibility of the central bank of the currency that you peg your own currency to. And you also remove, of course, exchange rate risk if the exchange rate is fixed. But you need to find an optimal currency area. That's a term that macroeconomists often use to describe an area, a region for which it maximizes economic efficiency to use the same currency in all the countries in that area. Uh, And you need to find a suitable optimal currency area to peg your own currency to uh, in order for you to import the right monetary policy, one that suits the needs of your own economy. And you will need foreign currency reserves in your central bank to be able to defend your peg in case market forces would put pressure on the exchange rate. And then uh, finally, and, and similarly to, to pegging your currency, that if you were instead to use a foreign uh, major currency, so straight up a currency of a foreign country, uh, then that external central bank would set the monetary policy. And, and uh, you will not, of course, have an exchange rate risk against that currency. Uh, but in this case, it is important that this monetary policy will suit your economy as well. So if you have a massively different economy to the country of, of or whose currency you've, you've chosen to, to use, uh, then that's obviously going to be uh, an issue. And I think it makes sense for us to just take a quick look at the euro. It is actually a pretty young currency. It hasn't been around for that long. It was introduced on the 1st of January 1999. But since then, it has evolved. It has become firmly established. And it is currently the number two currency in the world in terms of trading volume and in terms of being a reserve currency by central banks after the US dollar, which is, of course, number one. It's used by 20 of the 27 current European Union members. That that group of countries, those 20, is what we usually call the Eurozone. Uh, It's used by 344 million people in the EU. And it's actually also used by another 200 million people with uh, countries uh, in countries with currency pegs to the euro. Uh, and those countries with pegs to the euro are Denmark here in Europe, uh, but also a number, in fact, of African countries such as uh, Congo and Cameroon. Uh, it was tested as a currency by the eurozone crisis back in 2010 to 11 and 12. But I think it's fair to say that by today it is firmly established uh, as, as a world currency. And then we have the uh, the Nordic region, 
Uh, and when it comes to the euro and the Nordic region, of course, we have uh, Finland uh, using the euro. Uh, adopting it from the start in 1999. Uh, and and um, you could quite frankly say that support for the euro is, is quite strong and has actually grown further in the past 10 years. Uh, looking at uh, a recent poll from the EU uh, Commission, uh, 85% of uh, Finns are positive to the euro. Uh, and the support for this currency is actually the highest, or the third highest, sorry, uh, in the eurozone. Uh, after Ireland and uh, Luxembourg. And moving on to Denmark, which has had a fixed exchange rate for its Danish krona since the Bretton Woods system. Um, The Danes rejected the uh, European Union's Maastricht Treaty, uh, which included a common European currency back in 1992. They raised the issue again uh, in a new referendum in 2000, and then the adoption of the euro as a currency in Denmark was again rejected. So instead, Denmark is maintaining a peg uh, for Danish krona against the euro at (coughs) 7.46 Danish krona per euro, plus minus 2.25%. And that is a bilateral peg with the European Central Bank, uh, so that both Denmark's and the European Union Central Banks are backing this fixed exchange rate. And then we have Sweden. Uh, Sweden joined the EU in 1995, uh, but uh, rejected the euro in a 2003 referendum. Uh, but recently, the weak Swedish crown uh, has prompted a, a, a new discourse uh, on, on using this uh, currency. And it's, it's been brought up for a discussion. Uh, and the latest uh, European Commission poll uh, actually shows rising support. Uh, and for the first time, we see a majority of people in Sweden being positive uh, to the euro. And finally, the fourth Nordic country, Norway, is not a member of the EU. Uh, Norway rejected membership uh, of the European Union in referenda both in 1972 and in 1994. Although Norway is a member of the European Economic Area, the EEA, since 1994, and Europe is by far Norway's biggest trading partner, accounting for between 70 and 80 percent of trade. Uh, Norway's economy, though, is offshore heavy, uh, relying on oil and gas and fish and is quite different uh, in nature from uh, the economies of the European Union. Public opinion in Norway remains pretty solidly against EU membership and that almost makes the euro as a currency a moot point. You obviously aren't in a position to adopt the euro as your currency if you're not a member of the European Union. Uh, but with uh, with this history, uh, the brief history of the euro and of currencies in the Nordic region, uh, having that in mind, uh, let's uh, let's have a look at uh, how uh, how currency affects an economy, and and uh, the case for floating currency, uh, as we've mentioned, is usually based on on uh, conducting your own monetary policy. It might be a potential shock absorber if, if there are any economic uncertainties and economic shocks. And in this case, then adjusting sh- to two shocks uh, to the economy through your currency, so through through weakening or strengthening of the currency, and not only through the, through the labor market. And then uh, the fourth one, uh, having your own uh, currency might be beneficial in this case. Uh, you mentioned you want the, the optimum currency area. And if you can't really argue that you have an optimum currency area uh, in, in, in which you, you would fit, then having your own currency might be a quite good choice. If we look at the floating currencies in the Nordic region, the Norwegian krona and the Swedish krona, they have been chronically weak for the past 10 years. Um, trade-weighted exchange rates for uh, Norwegian and Swedish krona are down over the past decade, 32% and 21% respectively, so quite a heavy plunge. The Danish krona and the euro are up 4% over the past 10 years against uh, trade-weighted currency baskets for Denmark and Finland. Uh, And trade-weighted annual exchange rate volatility 
has in the past 25 years, so a very long time period, been about three times higher for the Norwegian krona and the Swedish krona compared with the euro and the Danish krona. Quite staggeringly high. Yeah. Uh, looking at central bank policy rates and the 10-year government bond yields, uh, have the Nordic countries pursued different monetary policy than the ECB since 1999? Well, Finland and Denmark, obviously not, given the, the currency situations. Uh, Norway's done so. Uh, differently to to some extent, uh, but not Sweden, uh, which has for all intents and purposes followed the ECB, uh, despite having their own uh, floating currency. And coming back to this theme of uh, floating currency as a shock absorber, we, when we look at the data, see no big inflation divergence for the Nordic countries versus the OECD in the shocks of 2008 or 2020 or 2022. Uh, We also see no real evidence of a weak currency boosting exports uh, in any sort of sustainable way over time. Uh, Instead, what we do see is that for decades, import growth has actually mirrored export growth. Both have soared. And this is what we usually refer to as globalization. Trade has increased. So now both exports and imports correspond to between 40 and 50% of GDP in value terms for the Nordic countries. And that compares with Uh, those import and export volumes being between 10% and 25% of GDP in value terms back in 1975. So it's a pretty staggering increase in trade intensity in the Nordic countries. And then the interesting question becomes, right, so if you depend so much more on trading with the outside world, both importing and exporting, how are you able to deviate materially in your own monetary policy from the monetary policy of your key trading partners? What might then happen to your currency? And as you're alluding to, the answer is, of course, that it is quite quite difficult to to uh, to run your own uh, your own monetary policy. Looking at uh, GDP growth, uh, Norway has outperformed the OECD uh, long term. Uh, Sweden has been in line with OECD growth, and then Denmark and Finland have underperformed. Uh, Norway did better during the 2008 uh, financial crisis, uh, while the others were quite similar, uh, and all did equally bad, you could uh, say, uh, during COVID. 2020. Uh, But then Norway suffered uh, much worse during the oil price shock of uh, 2014 for obvious reasons. And in terms of unemployment, Norway has been consistently superior for all this time, going back over the past 25 years. All Nordic countries were equally bad when it comes to unemployment during the COVID shock. Sweden did not do better than Finland during the global financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, despite the floating Swedish krona, which did weaken at the time. And Sweden is worst in class in terms of unemployment among the Nordic countries since 2018. So quickly checking or checking the case then for floating currency for the economy. Uh, how about being able to conduct your own independent monetary policy? How well would that work given what we've just described? Well, it's hard to deviate a lot from your trading partners after globalization. Just as a quick, simple example, Victor. Imagine if a small open economy were to decide to have zero interest rates and the trading partners had two or three or four percent interest rates. With the level of intensity in imports and exports in trade flows, it's probably quite inevitable that the currency would keep weakening yep. and weakening and weakening if, yep. you, if you did that. So the question becomes, can you have a substantially different monetary policy, to which I think the real answer is no. And um, for Norway, it's... Um, different where they have benefited from having an independent monetary policy and the very strong evidence of that we see in the oil shock that they suffered as you mentioned back in 2014 after which their currency weakened materially and competitiveness was 
strongly boosted for Norway, uh, having an offshore industry where you have local currency costs and where you sell internationally in other currencies. And in the case of Sweden, we would argue, simplifying things a little bit, that Sweden hasn't even tried to have uh, its own monetary policy. So it's almost a theoretical question. Yeah, It uh, doesn't seem like a floating currency is any silver bullet for strong macro performance for a small open economy. So so, uh, shall we do a quick roundup of our findings, given these different setups uh, for your currency? Absolutely. Let me then quickly tick those findings off. Um, Small open economies are very dependent on trade, and even more so after globalization. Foreign exchange risk is a source of uncertainty. Fixed exchange rate mechanisms in the 1950s through the 1980s were flawed. Uh, The euro is now a proven major currency. Using the euro or having a fixed exchange rate to the euro for your currency does reduce foreign exchange risk. Evidence of floating currency working well as a shock absorption device in your economy is pretty weak. Independent monetary policy is hard in a globalized world. And finally, floating currency can be the best option for a small open economy for a lack of better alternatives. If you do not have available an optimum currency area to uh, join. And then just, uh, I would like to highlight uh, one of these these areas, which is that uh, you said you want ethics risk is a source of uncertainty. And as you mentioned, that uh, looking at the trade-weighted exchange rates for the different countries in the Nordic region, I mean, think again about uh, what you said uh, just a few minutes back, that uh, it's three times high in the volatility in the trade-weighted exchange rate uh, for Norway and, and for, for Sweden uh, than it is for Denmark and for Finland. And of course, this results in, in, in uh, you know noticeable costs and, and material costs in that you need probably to hedge your currency and even if you don't need to hedge it or you choose not to uh, then then simply having this additional risk in your currency of course uh, of course uh, provides uh, some some challenges uncertainty will be higher yeah and then if you are wondering if a small and open economy can have a hard uh, hard floating currency, uh, then uh, we would use Switzerland uh, as a good illustration. So looking at the Swiss uh, franc uh, since the 1990 and comparing it to the uh, the Swedish crown and the Norwegian crown, uh, it has actually increased its value by some 170 to 180%. So quite staggering figures. And then comparing it to the euro and the USD, uh, again going back to the, the early 1990, uh, it's increased its value with some 60 to 80%. So it's... Uh, it takes time and takes effort to build credibility and, and build a strong track record. And then looking at Switzerland, uh, they've had a major, or they, they have a major current uh, account surplus. They have political stability. Uh, and then looking at the monetary policy, I think it's best described as ironclad. Uh, and then uh, we can also add into this the fact that the uh, the Swiss franc uh, needed until 2000 uh, to be backed by at least 40% fiscal gold. So you have this strong and quite convincing track record uh, for it to be, what we would say, in quotations, a hard floating currency. They have less gold in those vaults today, but the market also has a memory of that commitment, which seems to weigh in. Now, it's far from certain that any of the four Nordic countries would either want or, for that matter, be able to do something similar to what Switzerland has done with their currencies. And it might not necessarily be economically beneficial for any Nordic country to do so. But maybe we could finish today's talk by reflecting on what currency path each of the four Nordic countries could choose going forward, because that is the juicy question here, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and try. let's try to be as explicit as we can uh, with uh, what we are thinking and how we believe that this could play out. Uh, I mean, starting with Finland, uh, I would say it's it's quite an easy case. Uh, they learned the important lessons for, for wage setting when using the euro. And then support for the euro, as we explained, is, is very, very high. The third highest of all uh, euro users. Uh, and Finnish corporates have stayed competitive. Uh, so, so, so simply put, we would expect Finland to stick with the euro in both the short and the long term. And then moving on to Norway, uh, which we say is the one Nordic country which has a strong case for a floating currency. And that is based on its offshore-oriented economy being very different from the economies of the EU. Europe is Norway's by far biggest trading partner, but Norway's economy is not synchronized with that of Europe. Norway has a strong long-term macro track record and has clearly benefited from a weakening currency during and after that oil shock crisis of 2014. Public opinion in Norway remains against uh, European Union membership and we accordingly expect Norway to keep its Norwegian krona as both in the short term and in the long term. And in in contrast, uh, we have Denmark. Uh, Denmark is actually the most trade intensive of the four Nordic uh, economies. And uh, given their trading partners, we would argue then that uh, they have clearly benefited from exchange rate stability against the euro. Uh, public opinion remains uh, against uh, introducing the euro fully, but uh, there is no macroeconomic benefit from maintaining uh, the krona. Uh, the exchange, the fixed exchange rate, uh, means that Denmark simply follows the ECB's uh, monetary policy. And, and, and uh, since they are already pegged to the euro, it wouldn't really make that much of a difference uh, going over to it fully also in uh, in name. So there would likely not be much political traction from trying to push this uh, change. Uh, but over time, uh, we would expect Denmark to go for the full Monty and replace the Danish krona uh, with the euro. So short term, probably no sh- uh, change, uh, but longer term, say 10 to 20 years, uh, adopting the euro fully. And finally, Sweden. Um, here we think that the euro would be a quite suitable optimum currency area for Sweden to join. The floating Swedish krona has not been a good shock absorber in the past 25 years. And we argue that Sweden has, if you simplify a bit and look at the big picture, hardly even tried to conduct a meaningfully different monetary policy from that of the ECB since the euro was introduced. And this is despite having this floating currency. The weak Swedish krona is causing some pain for Swedish consumers, and there is evidence of rising support for the euro in Swedish public opinion, at least according to European Commission surveys. Uh, That said, arguing for the euro is not obviously an election winner in the domestic Swedish political arena. We think that any serious consideration to adopt the euro in Sweden in the short to medium term could require a new big wave of weakness for the krona. Let's say if the krona were to drop to 13 or 14 krona per euro, that might trigger a new discourse and for some serious voices to be raised uh, calling for introduction of the euro. If there is no such wave of weakening, we would expect it to happen, but in the long term, and then from a gradual re-evaluation of the lack of benefits from a floating currency in today's much more globalized Swedish economy. So long term, euro, short term, not unless there is a big new uh, big wave of krona weakness. So in the, in the future, and, and, and we'll leave it to the listener to decide how far out that's going to be, but a future Nordic region then with the, the euro in Finland, Denmark and Sweden, and then the Norwegian krona still being used in, in uh, Norway. And I guess time will tell if this will be the case. Indeed. And just to mention it, the obvious caveat to our long-term scenario would be if there is some new shock similar in nature to the 
Eurozone crisis we had back in 2010, 11 and 12, which could then seriously question the viability of the euro as a currency, that would of course put things in a different light. Uh, but that's the one caveat probably worth mentioning in, in, in this context. And I think that pretty naturally concludes our talk for today. So thank you all for listening. Our next Nordi on your mind report will have the title How to Spend It and we'll explore how corporates use their capital. Uh, looking at different choices uh, between investments, mergers and acquisitions, research and development expenditure, and of course payouts to owners. And we will look into if there are any patterns in how long-term performance and value creation is affected uh, from how companies spend their capital. So watch this space. <laughs>